Well, okay, everyone, uh, please find your seat. Um, typically, it's behind you. Um, anyway, welcome to week seven of the Alpha Course. Seven weeks just blowing by so fast, and uh, we appreciate you guys being here. Thanks for watching online. We are grateful to have you here as well. Uh, tonight, we're in uh, it's session 12, but the topic is, how can I resist evil? But before we get into that, I want to remind you about the Alpha Weekend coming up, not this weekend, but the next weekend. So uh, the weekend of the 12th and the 13th. So please register for that. It's Friday night dinner and then Saturday morning breakfast. It'll just be like a Tuesday night, but we want you to just come and enjoy. It's a continuation of the course. There's just so much in Alpha. We just kind of cram in this, this weekend, but it is typically a highlight of of the, uh, the Alpha Course, so please join us. Now next week, because we had to, uh, because we had to move Alpha, because of Hurricane Ida, we had to push it back three weeks. I have a scheduled conference that I have to be, to be at out of town, so you will have the one and the only, thank God, the one and the only, I didn't say that, uh, the one and the only Peter Davidson is going to lead us, and uh, Peter, you will be—you'll be grateful for that. Peter does a tremendous job, so please join us as well Tuesday night, this coming Tuesday night, and for the Alpha Weekend. And if you just fill out a registration, that would be great. Also, want to remind you if you've—if you just want to get a CD, to, to, if your car has a CD player, that will be great. But we've got CDs of every week, including tonight's topic. So we're on page 66. How can I resist? Evil. Now, I think this is interesting coming on the heels of Halloween that just how this kind of worked together that we've got the topic of evil tonight. But if I just summed up tonight in a brief statement, it would be this. The way I resist evil primarily is by learning to talk to and listen to God. Okay, that's called prayer. That was last week. And by getting to know this God's love for us through his word, through the Bible. That's two weeks ago. The way I resist evil primarily is by learning to talk to and listen to God and by getting to know this God's love for us, which is clearly given to us through the Bible. So we know it. The more we know God, the more, the more clear we are of the efforts of evil against us personally but we also get to know God's power within us to resist the devil. So, and do we not see this? I mean, the Bible tells us this clearly. There is evil. There's evil in the world around us. There is evil that we even find within us in its potential or actuality. And there is evil which we find from what the Bible calls the devil among us. Those are clear statements of the scripture. So tonight, I'm not going to talk to you about caricatures and weird experiences. We're going to just stay within the confines of the Bible. And again, this is just an introduction. We're hardly going to be scratching the surface. But tonight, how can I resist evil and win? Not just how can I resist evil, how can I win? But really, when you think about this, I mean, we're so technologically advanced in the United States. I mean, we're just, we know, we got it all together. I mean, the devil, I mean, really? The devil? You're talking about the devil? I mean, that's, that's how, how archaic, how provincial, how, how simple. But according to the Bible, the devil is a real person. But I want to just talk about four things to consider about Satan and demons. We get some help from Pastor Tim Keller here. So, Things to consider about Satan's and demons. Possibly we are being simplistic and naive to not believe. Maybe it's we who are being too simplistic. We say we're so profound and so technical. Actually, maybe we're being simplistic. Uh, maybe we're being culturally narrow because most of the world does believe in a personal devil, in evil. Or... Think about this. You believe in God and you haven't seen him. Why not? There'd be the possibility or the actuality of demons. 
Or, if the Bible is true and there are demons, there's no way to really respond to them successfully without the Bible's instruction. The Bible, as I taught you, it's, it's God's love letter to us, but it's also God's handbook for living life in a fallen, evil world. And so the Bible teaches us from Genesis to Revelation, Satan, a created being who rebelled against God, took a third of the angels with him, opposed and opposes God, and, just tell you, he desires to destroy men and women, keeping us from the true knowledge of God. And in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are 47 passages that directly mention Satan. There's about 33 of them where it speaks of the devil. Uh, but predominantly we see scripture as it pertains to evil within the confines of the New Testament. But we see Satan throughout the Bible. In the garden, there's the serpent in the garden. In the book of Job, it was the devil that goes to God wanting to test Job. Jesus has interactions with demons. The epistles to the churches are where there's many, many uh, times when the apostles write about resisting evil and overcoming evil. Here's what Peter writes to Christians, those who are in Christ. He says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So that's his intention. That's what the apostle Peter tells us. He's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to, I mean, devour. That's a pretty strong word, don't you think? That's a pretty scary word. Seeking someone to devour. And so the issue as it pertains to demons is not whether or not it's hard to believe. I'm not saying it's not hard to believe. The question is whether or not it's true. Are there actually demons? And I just says, I hope you can follow this long quote with me that I just thought was worth putting on the screen. If the resurrection is true, let's just kind of follow this line, in, line of thinking. If the resurrection is true, then Jesus died. And the reason he died was to free us from our sins. And the reason he had to set us free from our sins was because of the fall of mankind. And the fall of mankind was due to our parents, that's Adam and Eve, caving into the lies and temptation of the serpent in the garden. So if the resurrection is true, there must have been a death. And the reason he died was to free us from our sins. And the reason he had to set us free from our sins is because we are caught in our sins, because we've fallen like all mankind, because of our progenitors, Adam. Just, just see the process here of thinking. If you believe in the resurrection, there was a purpose for the resurrection. And before the resurrection, resurrection comes death, well, why die? Well, the issue is to overcome evil. And this is what John writes in his, third, in his first letter, in the third chapter. He says, the purpose, here you go. Here's a purpose statement. The purpose the Son of God appeared or was revealed was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, may I say this? He comes to destroy them, the works of the devil, for many reasons, but primarily to destroy the works of the devil in each and every one of our lives in Adam. And of course, it's not going to be a session anymore if we don't have my cups. Are we auctioning these off, by the way, week 10? So bring your cash. All right, so he comes to destroy the works of the evil one by taking us out of Adam and placing us into Adam. Christ. So if there is a devil, I want you to take his work against you personally. Okay? Just if there is, if the Bible's right, you need to take this personally. He's out to get you. And the way he's out to get you is to keep you out of Christ and keep you in Adam, separated from God. So according to the scripture, if we don't allow the work of Jesus to destroy Satan's work in our lives, then simply put, he will ultimately destroy our lives. Now that should get our attention, don't you think? If this is true, this should have my attention. You know, I want to go back to Tim Keller's fourth point for just a minute. Um, 
and I have to read it to you because I don't have it on the screen. If the Bible is true and there are demons, there is no way to really deal with them without the Bible because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Wayne Grudem, a uh, very accomplished author and teacher, um, he wrote this in his Systematic Theology. He said, if scripture gives us a true account of the world as it really is, then we must take seriously its portrayal of intense demonic involvement in human society. Our failure to perceive the involvement with our five senses simply tells us that we have some deficiencies in our ability to understand the world, not that demons don't exist. Could it be that I have a deficiency in understanding the world? And I certainly did. I had a grave deficiency there. And so I appreciate Grudem's statement. We have some deficiencies in our ability to understand the world. Not that demons do not exist. Look, just because you can't see something doesn't mean it's not there. True? And we've got lots of examples of that. Just because I can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. So let me just give you an, an example. Thankfully, this is not actual size. Right? Aren't we glad of that? But you know what this is? Some of you do. have been to Alpha Board. you know what this is? Yeah, that's a dust mite. Okay, now, let me just tell you right now, it depends on the last time you actually washed your sheets. Okay, so I don't know when the last time you washed your sheets. But if it's been a while, uh, there are thousands of these things having dust mite orgies in your bed, even as we speak. Pretty gross thought. We've had many people at Alpha actually go home and wash their sheets after this evening. One less thing to worry about. So um, there's a whole lot more to say about there. But I did want to say this, that tonight's Alpha is brought to you by MyPillow.com. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Yes, so thank you, Mike Lindell, for sponsoring just about everything, don't you think? I mean, just about everything. So thank you, Mike. So let me just give you um, another example here. Here, um, now, maybe you don't know what this is. This is under a microscope. Uh, anybody recognize the type of flu this is? Yeah, it is, it is swine flu. Um, and, you know, finally, they're having a hard time just isolating the flu and just coming to an understanding of where the swine flu actually originated, and finally, they found out where the swine flu actually originated, and here it is. Just, you know, just, just one lick, and... Has anybody seen Johnny? So, so anyway, I, that's, that's enough of that. So, but here's the truth. Microscopes, microscopes have been used to discover things that we cannot see with the naked eye. True. Um, but just, again, just because we can't see them doesn't mean they're real. They aren't real. Before microscopes, we were only able to see the effects of the unseen world, not the cause of the unseen world. Clearly, there are things that you and I cannot see that can harm us. They are there and are not seeing them really is irrelevant to their ability to harm our lives. What we cannot see can and often does hurt us. I mean, anybody think about the COVID virus here while we're here thinking about that? Anybody see COVID just kind of creep and just take over their bodies? I mean, nobody sees it. It's, it's invisible. So we take it from the physical realm to the spiritual realm. The microscope of scripture brings us to the into the spirit realm to see things that we would not see if not for God's word as a magnifying light for us to be able to see and to discern that we may to some degree comprehend the presence of things that desire to deceive us and to destroy us. Ignorance does not exempt you or me. I mean, you don't have to hear this. Ignorance does not exempt, if, if demons are true, ignorance does not exempt you or me from evil's effect. So what are the devil's tactics? 
Well, the Bible teaches that Satan has some deceptive devices to keep us from thinking biblically about him. I mean, we think about these things kind of at Halloween, but we, I mean, it's gotten to the point where it's just not, not a big deal. We just, we think of Satan in either kind of ghoulish or caricaturistic type of ways, caricature-like ways. So we get these images that are, that are some, sometimes you get religious images of Satan or demons, but non-biblical images. And we get it, how do we get them? Through movies, TV, the arts, video games, music. I mean, really, I mean, you just think about these. These things are just on us all the time, so we kind of get anesthetized to them. We don't really think about them as, as harmful. But my goodness, I mean, if you looked at any kind of video games, it's kind of dark stuff. Movies, I, Annette and I went to see the James Bond movie. Anybody seen the James Bond movie? Anyway, let's not talk about that right now. I'm not here to be a movie critic. Um, but while we were there, there were 20 minutes of, you know, you get to 20 minutes of trailers and you just have a headache by the time you get through the trailers. I mean, some gory stuff. And it's like, who can top the next movie? So in terms of goriness, and see, the Satan is all too happy to use the fiction of Hollywood or Halloween to accomplish his purpose, purposes. And I mean, there's all kind of horror movies. I mean, you just, I mean, for all the way from Dracula, to the Exorcist, to all these types of movies that are going on today from Freddy to all these other things. But I mean, where are we going to, I mean, things to get, make us laugh and things to scare the life out of us. But the question is, where do we get Where are we going to get our theology from? If demons really do exist and most people do believe that they do, though it's a lessening number, um, where are we going to get our theology from? How are we going to know what they really are? I mean, were you going to get our theology from the, the church lady in Saturday night live? Remember? Could it be Satan? Do you remember that? I mean, it's just, hi, you know, we're just laughing away. Just laughing away. But I remember 2009 Music TV Awards. Okay. Jack Black is there and he leads the congregation of people at the, at the Music TV Awards, MTV Awards, and everybody that's watching, he actually led them in a prayer to our dear, dark Lord Satan. Wow. That's interesting. Then, I mean, I don't know if any of you got caught the, the series on Fox for a while. Do you remember Lucifer? If you caught that, um, for all the devotees of the devil there. But, you know, it finally got canceled. I don't know if you knew that. So Lucifer was canceled by the producers, and then shortly thereafter, Satan canceled the producers of Lucifer. So it just kind of got even with them with that. But anyway... Here's what C.S. Lewis had to say about demons. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, humans, can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe in and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a secularist, we could use that word, or a magician with the same delight. Too much or too little emphasis on him. And he fights in two fronts and has two intentions. One, to keep you and me out of the wheelbarrow, to keep us from receiving the gift or saying I do, to keep us in Adam. Or, if we have come into Christ... To not have a life, a vibrant life growing in him. To keep us ineffective in our new life in Christ. And if not in the wheelbarrow, the Bible teaches, if having not received the gift or said I do, his aim is to totally destroy us. Now, I wanted to do this uh, tonight. I, I wanted to ask, and I did ask, Donnie Bourgeois to come and share a little bit about the way in which this happened in his life, in Judy, his wife's life. And so, Donnie, come on up if you would, please. I want Donnie just to share with you the story of um, the efforts to destroy him and his family, really, and uh, the grace of God that overcame them in God's care for them. You can just pull that right there, Donnie. So, folks, this is my dear friend, Hello. Hello. Donnie Bourgeois. So. Thank you, brother. Whew. 
Good evening, good evening, everybody out there in TV land as well, and all you here tonight. Uh, what a blessing and a privilege it is for me to, uh, to be here to, and share my testimony about what God uh, has done in my life um, and what he can do in your life as well. I'm going to start with a little nostalgia here. I'm going to go back a little, t uh, 50 years. I can't believe I'm even 50 years old, but... Uh, <laughs> um, does anybody re uh, remember where Frank's skating ring was on West Napoleon? <laughs> yeah, we do have somebody that knows that, huh? Uh, well, 50 years ago, I was a skate boy there, and uh, my wife came in, and not at that time, uh, she came in uh, to drop her sister off, and Next week, she came back without her sister, and, uh, and here we are. Uh, I wish she was here tonight with me, but she wasn't able to make it. But uh, 50 years now, we've been together, 47 years married, so um, thank you. Thank you. So uh, I'm going to fast forward this to 21 years ago. Uh, it was uh, 27th of... Uh, of December and I left to go hunting up in Woodville, Mississippi. And there was about 10 people in camp. And it was pouring down rain and we got up and still pouring down rain. But it was two of us went out. I said, oh, I came to go sit in the stand. I'm gonna go sit in the stand. So me and a buddy of mine, Clyde, who worked for Energy at the time, says, come on, I'll drop you off and then I'll, uh, I'll come back and pick you up. So it's, it's still dark, it's pouring down rain. He dropped me off, I got up in the stand when about 10 minutes and I hear my name being called out in the dark, Donnie, Donnie. I said, that doesn't sound good. So I got out the stand and met him on the, on the, on the, on the, on the road and uh, he had his cell phone in his hand. Now, that's 21 years ago, cell service was just coming to be, right? I mean, I'm in a rural area in Woodville, Mississippi, in the woods, and he's got coverage. And I look back on all this, and I see how God had a hand in all of this. So he says, Judy's on the phone. So I said, yeah, honey. She says, Brennan's in a hospital. He's in a coma. That's my youngest son. I've, we had four children. And I dropped to my knees, and I said, Lord, please don't let anything happen to him. And Clyde says, come on, we'll take you in. We got to go. So what happened was he was out the night before. It was his girlfriend's girlfriend's uh, friend's birthday, and they were off at Carrollton. They were at a place, and they were drinking, having a good time, dancing. And uh, this boy had the GHB, the date rape drug, in a in a Gatorade bottle. Well, Brennan loved Gatorade. Well, not knowing what was in it, he picked it up and he drank half of it, and it suppressed him to the point it stopped him from breathing. So his girlfriend went and asked the bartender to call an ambulance, and he said, get him out of here, he's drunk. And so the boy that knew what he, what he drank, what was in the bottle, says, come on, i got to take him to the hospital. So he put him in his car, drove him halfway around the block, stopped, says, get him out, I can't take him, i got all this other paraphernalia in my car. So the time his girlfriend went back in to get one of his other friends, put him in his truck and brought him to charity, they said he'd already stopped breathing 10 to 12 minutes. So he was brain dead. So I get to the hospital and I'm running through the hospital looking for my son and for my wife. And I find him and there's Brennan. He's laying in the bed. He looks like he's, he's 18 years old. He's a senior at Ridgewood, healthy as a horse. He's like, he's laying in the bed, just sleeping. <clears throat> so we're in the hospital room for 11 days. I did everything humanly possible, medically speaking, to bring him back, to transport him to St. Charles General, to put him in hyperbarics chambers, which was fairly new at the time, where they submerge you, like you get in the chamber and they submerge you like you're going underwater, and it, 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 it presses oxygen into your blood. So we, but it was an ordeal to get him there, because the doctors and the nurses and all had to be with him when we transported him. So we did that twice. So around the fifth day in the hospital, well, the second day in the hospital, 
a gentleman came up. I don't know how he got up because it was it wasn't letting anybody else up there. It was it was packed at uh, charity. He came in and asked if he could pray over him, and I said sure. So he went in and and prayed and came back out and you know some things happen in our lives that we we just don't never forget and i'll never forget this so he came out and i remember him sitting down in the corner and he sat for for a good while and he got up and he walked to me he said if you get an opportunity he said i'd like for you to read this and he handed me this track and i stuck it in my back pocket and i took it out that night and i read it Steps to peace with God. Just six little pages, first grade writings with some scriptures on them, right? And I read them, and I read it again, and I read it again, and I read it again. And here I am, 21 years later, talking about what this did to me. Well... I don't have time to talk about everything that transpired in that hospital for 11 days, but we were asked to, to meet with Lopa. And I didn't even know what Lopa was. This was around the seventh day. So me and my wife made the meeting, walked into the office, sat down, and the lady says, would y'all be interested in donating your son's organs? And for myself, if my son wasn't going to live, nobody else was going to live because he was going to live. But both me and my wife, we turned at each other at the same time. And simultaneously, we said, yes, we would. And so we donated his organs and seven people's lives were saved. So I buried my son. Two weeks after I buried my son. I get a revelation. I didn't know what a revelation was, especially from the Lord. I thought I knew the Lord, but I didn't know the Lord, but I know him now. He said to pick up that Bible, pick up his word and start reading it. And so I picked it up and I started reading it. And the first thing that he revealed to me in John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave you with, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. That's 21 years ago, ladies and gentlemen. And that peace has never, has never left me from the loss of my son. And these tears are tears of sadness. These are tears of joy because of what God's done in my life and what he can do in your life. So I've been reading that Bible now for 21 years. For 20 years, 20 years I've been reading that Bible. I haven't missed a day in 20 years. He gets me up every morning, 3.30, 4 o'clock every morning. And I'm in that word every day. And it allows me to be with folks every day and to share the gospel with them. You know, in Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans for a hope and a future. You know, I read that scripture in the Old Testament in Jeremiah, and it's stuck right here, too. Because it's not my plan anymore, it's his plan. And it's by reading his word is the reason why I get to do the things that I do now, and I get to share this testimony with you all. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift from God, not as a result of works one may not boast. Another revelation. I never lost it. I never lost these when I read these scriptures and he put this on my heart, uh, Matthew eleven twenty. I'm going to give you one more. One more. That's it. <laughs> Matthew eleven twenty. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon ye and learn from me, for the gentle and humble of my heart will give rest to your soul. What a rest. Not that I don't miss my son, but one thing I do realize that he was a gift. Everything we have is a gift, and it all comes from our creator. Now, my wife, she could never understand how I could feel the way I, I felt. And I couldn't understand it either. But she hung on to my coattail for five and a half years. And she finally gave her son to Christ 
and she found that peace that God gave me in that hospital. It's a feeling that I want everyone to have. I want everybody to feel it. I want everybody to have it. What a blessing. What a privilege. And I know he's not going to want me to say this, but I'm going to, tell, I'm going to have to tell you all, because the man that came and gave me that track was Frank Loria. He took the time out of his busy schedule to come up there when he heard that I was up there with my son, and he's the one that gave me that track. And here I am tonight to say thank you, brother, and I love you for that time. And the same thing can happen to each and every one of you all if you just humble yourself and come to know him. What a blessing. Thank you very much. Did you share Judy's, you know, what Judy's talked about? Would you do that? He wants me to share with Judy. My wife gives her testimony. I like for her to be here with me to give her testimony, but I'll give, I'll, I'll share her testimony. It took her five and five and a half years. She, she hung on a coattail. Now I was asked to go to Cabrini High School and give my testimony one time. And I wound up going back seven weeks in a row. I used to go on a Wednesday morning. <laughs> well, between the, the fifth and the sixth week, something was happening with her. Something was going on. And she asked me Tuesday night, she told me, she says, I want to go with you tomorrow morning. And I said, really? I said, you sure you want to go? Because I rehashed this whole ordeal. And, and usually I'm just kind of mentally drained. I go back home, sit down for about an hour and, and go back to work. She said, no, I want to go with you. So she came with me that Wednesday morning. We're there. I went through the whole ordeal, and I give the girls time for Q&A. And when I got finished, she stood up, and she says, let me just say this. I'd rather be where I am today in my walk with the Lord than to have my son back. I did drop to my knees, and I said, thank you, thank you, Lord. And she had finally, finally found the peace that God gave me in that hospital. And she is something else. She is really something else. The Lord, the Lord has done to her and for me and my family. Um, only he could do this. And I'm so grateful. I'm grateful to be here tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. I love you so much. You just never know um, what God's doing uh, until he does it. Um, our son Paul was going to Ridgewood. Uh, actually, it was at Brother Martin. He hated Brother Martin. Not that there's anything wrong with Brother Martin. It was just one for him. His older brother, David, attended. But um, uh, when we took him out of Brother Martin, we brought him to Ridgewood. And... Uh, and we were so excited about that. And Brennan and our son Paul were on the same baseball team together. Amazing baseball team. Brennan was an amazing baseball player as a sophomore. He just, you just had to see to believe it. How this kid, how as a sophomore, was so talented. Um, but we had no idea that God would intersect the Loria's lives with the bourgeois' lives. And what that would mean for us for them and the thousands of people that Donnie and Judy have been able to share the re remarkable love of God as a result, even in the midst of the most tragic of losses. And so uh, just so grateful for this man and his family. And thank you, Donnie, for sharing, because every time you share this, it just brings those memories back up. And so thank you for sacrificing and being willing to, to go through that again. So thank you, Brody, so much. Okay, sorry about that. So how do we continue from there? Um, but what Jesus does is he gives, a, he gives us Satan's resume. Um, I don't know if he's on 
um, Indeed or LinkedIn, but um, his resume is in the Bible. Um, And this is what it is. For the thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. I want to make a big deal out of this word. The thief, Jesus is speaking of Satan, he comes only, this is all he does, 24-7, 365, he comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But the scripture goes on to say, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's come to keep us in Adam. But Christ says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Well, the life that's to the full is he comes to give us his life and everything that is comprised of his life. Um, our daughter and son moved to a little town in uh, Trussville, Alabama, in Alabama called Trussville. And they had a neighbor. His name was Dale Anderson. And uh, Dale's kick. The first time I met Dale Anderson, I tell so here's our daughter. She's moving to a small town. Um, she's living in the kind of country town. So the houses are not just like we see them in New Orleans, just one after another where you just knock on your neighbor's door. I mean, they're sometimes a block, two blocks away from your neighbor. So, but I wanted our daughter, because Sam was off being trained, I wanted our daughter to, be, uh, to know as many neighbors as possible till Sam came home from his training. And so this guy, Dale, is taking out his trash one day, and I start running toward him because he can't hear me. Well, he's got these two, I don't remember their pit bulls or what they, what they are, but he's screaming at me, stop running toward me, because his dogs were ready to make lunch out of me. And uh, so I thought, but I got to meet Dale. I got to spend some time with Dale. But he had been through... A flesh-eating bacteria that should have killed him. He had cancer that should have killed him. And an incredible heart, heart uh, surgery that should have killed him. And, um, and Abby said to him, God must not be ready for you yet. And um, well, I sat with Dale. And Dale and I talked about this. And he said, well, I guess God wasn't ready for me yet. And I said to Dale this. I said... Dale, maybe you're not ready for God yet. It's not God that may not be ready for you. Maybe you're not ready for God yet. Have you thought about that? I mean, we talk about that. Well, I guess God's not ready for you yet. Mm, Maybe not. It may be God. It may be you who may not be ready for God. So, but this is what we see the work of the devil The God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. He blinds our eyes to not see the gospel of Christ. The gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And the Bible says that he he works through lies which take the form of temptations and accusations. His truth-telling is twisted. I mean, this is what Jesus said to the, to the most religious of the time. He said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Now, he's telling this to the most religious of the time. He's not telling this to Satan worshipers or, you know, white supremacists or anything like that. He's telling this to, to the religious ones, the religious Jews. You belong to your father, the devil, Can you imagine? And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And he works in many ways through these lies. He is a deceiver. I mean, Satan even uses self-reliant BVM, meology, to motivate us to try to perfect ourselves. And a way to do that is this, to keep us out of the Bible. Now look, like I told you, I didn't know what this book was. And most of us grow up not knowing what it is. And how many of us grew up not knowing what it, what, what it is going to church most of our lives? Unfortunately, way too many of us. 
Make sure you don't read this. You're not equipped to read this. You'll get in trouble if you read this. Again, totally contrary, with all due respect, to what the Bible says. Or he does this by trying to remove God from the public square. I mean, do you see how secular we have become as a society? It just makes any thought of being, of, of being uh, biblical or being a Christian just seem incredibly Weird. The aim is to destroy by removing God from the scene and the ramifications. Hey, if you remove God, if there's no God, there's no right or wrong. I mean, think about that. If, if you remove God, who's to say what's right and who's to say what's wrong? Really? If there's no ultimate authority, who are you to tell me what I can do, can't do, should do, shouldn't do? If we're all just little gods ourselves. So what do we have to show for living like that? We got 2021 to show for living like that. And it seems to be on a tear. So distorting the truth about God. Here's, here's some truths about God that Satan would tell us, that, are, that some untruths that are, he'd tell us. That if you, if, you, if you come to Christ, your life of fun is over. Okay? Uh, you get a one-way missionary ticket to some place you'll never, ever come back from. Uh, you spend, you get to spend more time on Bourbon Street, but you don't spend it with a hurricane in your hand. You spend it with this massive wooden cross in your hand and megaphone telling people they're going to hell, so they better repent. That's what happens if you get in Christ. No fun, no friends, no money. You got to give all your money to the church, right? I mean, please. That's the way it is. It's the way it is. So, but here's the worst thing. If you give your life to Christ, um, next thing you know, you're going to be back at Alpha, but dressed up in black and white, serving cake to all these people you don't know. That's what's going to happen. I mean, your life is over. That's, I mean, I can't imagine something... Any worse than that. Um, in high school, um, in the ninth grade, a guy by the name of Rene uh, started attending uh, the high school that I attended. And uh, we were friends through high school, best friends through high school. He went to Tulane. I went to LSU, but we still stayed real close, good buddies. And even when we graduated, uh, we stayed close to one another. And in college, at age 19, I... God had taken me out of Adam and placed me into Christ, gave me this relationship with God that I just don't have the words to express my gratefulness for. Um, too, many, too many things to talk about. Um, and so I was talking to Renee. It's like, Frank, um, you know, we, we talk about Jesus a lot. And so, but, you know, Renee was, I mean, not really interested, but always willing to endure his friend. And uh, there was a, a time that Renee in his life where he got just, he came to kind of a halt in his career and things just weren't making sense for him. And so, you know, all those years, all those times with him and uh, there came that day where Renee said, okay, God, take over. And God did take over my friend Renee's life. And it's very exciting. And we would spend time together continuing still to this day. But it's interesting what Renee said to me. We're having lunch one day. And he said, you know, Frank, you know what took me so long to come to Christ? And I thought, hmm, this is going to be good. I mean, I, I want to write this down. It's probably good alpha material. Um, and I said, no, Renee, what, what was it? You know, go slow so I can get all this down. What was it that took you so long to want to surrender your life to, to Christ? He said, I was afraid I was going to have to be like you. So I just put my pen down. Um, I said, what do you mean? He said, you're always talking about Jesus. You're, you know, you're always going to church. Um, you do all this speaking. I said, I don't want to be like that. And I stopped and I said, Renee, thank you. Because I never thought about that. 
But the good news is this. You don't have to be like me. I'm me. You're you. You just be like you with Jesus in you. You know, you wake up, you brush your teeth, you shower, you go, to, you go to work, whatever. But you just be you. You don't have to be like pastor this or reverend that or alpha presenter. Or, you're just you. Just be you. And it's a lie. I would argue it's a lie from Satan that there's this now, if you come in Christ, there are going to be these expectations. You know, you got to be at church every time the doors open. Like I said, you have to give all your money away. You got to do all this stuff, go to all the Bible studies. And you just be you and you just let God determine that. If you like baseball before you come to Christ, you'll probably like baseball after you come to Christ. If you like the theater, if you like different things, just, again, just be who you are. And the lie is that you're going to have to become someone you can't be. Oh, I'm just going to be under such scrutiny. That's a lie. It's a total lie. And it's something we really need to know. So here's, here's what... Did you pick yourself out, by the way, there? Did you see any of you sitting there? Okay. Um, here's what, in, in the revelation of Jesus Christ, the very last book in the Bible, the 12th chapter, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters, that's Satan, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They, that is those who are in Christ, overcame him. How? By the blood of the Lamb... And the word of their testimony. Now, Donnie tonight shared with us the word of his testimony. But he could only do that because of the work of Christ covering all of his sins. The blood of the Lamb, the cross of Christ covering all of his sins. And so the work of Christ overcomes the work of the evil one. We're in Adam. But the word of our testimony the truth about what Christ has done continues to build our faith in who Christ is in us and that we are no longer in Adam. We don't find our identity in here anymore, though our lives sometimes may look like this. So let's just see some things here. Keller, Tim Keller helps us out again here. Accusations and temptations that you and I will get from the evil one. They come. I, I recognize these because I live on the planet I've been tempted by these very things, accused by these very things. Here's Satan's desire to get you to look more at your sinful work than the Savior's work. Look more at what a jerk and how terrible and how pitiful you are than how amazing and glorious God is. And that Christ came for us even before we were born and even while we were yet resisting him and hating him. He gets us to obsess over looking at past sins where the result of the sins cannot be undone. Let me tell you, this is something to pay attention to. Is there something you've done in your life that just simply can't be undone? A relationship. Uh, a decision. You, you name it. It just can't be undone. Well, just get us to obsess over that and just living in the past and living with that sense that I just ruined my life there. My life was ruined there. I screwed up so bad. Think that current difficulties, there's another one, are a result of or punishment for past sins. Hmm. It just sits on you like a wet blanket. It sits on you like a pall. And it just, you can't shake it. And that you're just being punished. It's karma. That karma's come back to get you. Or cause us to believe that we wouldn't have sinful desires or we wouldn't be in the mess we're in if we were really followers of Christ. That if you got, have come in Christ, it's like, well, I've given my life to Christ. Why does life still suck? I mean, why is that? Well, that's another topic. But those are all accusations. You look more at what, what we've done than what the Savior did to free us. We obsess over the past and, and, and things that can't be undone. 
we think that, that, that we're going through difficult, difficulty now, that we're just, it's just payback. It's payback time. Or that if we are in Christ, we wouldn't be going through this, these difficulties if we were really in Christ. You see, you must still be an Adam because God doesn't treat his children that way. That would be incorrect. But it's always an issue of love. And how do we know this? Because the Bible's real clear here. This is what the Bible says. Paul writes to the church at Rome. The church is at Rome. 8th chapter, verse first, uh, first verse. There is therefore now, now catch these words, no condemnation, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, and where are we? In Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is to be found in Adam. The law of life is found in Christ. And so if Christ removes us from where the law of sin and death is found, what is left for us? Any condemnation? Why? Because Christ carried, if what the Bible says is true, Christ carried your and my condemnation to the cross with him. And so every sin you and I have ever committed, maybe committing even now, or will commit, were carried, every one of them was carried 2,000 years ago at the cross. The ones you haven't done yet, the ones I haven't thought of yet, every one of them, past, present, and future. Because Jesus is not getting back up on the cross. He's not going, oh, Dad, I forgot one. I got to get back down there. No. He carried all of our sinfulness. He carried me, the sinner, and all of my enumerated sins with him. So, let's just go back here for a second. Cause us to believe that we wouldn't have sinful desires or we wouldn't be in the mess we're in if we were really in Christ? No. Think that current difficulties are a result of, or punishment for past sins? Not according to the Bible. There's no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. I, I could, I'd like to say that 50,000 times to you right now. There is no condemnation if you're in Christ. Now, what if you're not in Christ? I'm sorry. Then you have not allowed the blood of Jesus Christ, the work of the cross, to take you out of Adam where there is condemnation. Not asking you to believe me. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And the Bible is very, very clear there. He wants us to keep from experiencing the depths of relationship God has for us with him and with those in the wheelbarrow. Now, I know this happens all the time. That I'm going to run a little bit long here, but I'm going to try to speed up a little bit. So, great scripture. You can just have to catch that later. Um, Colossians 1, 13. This is, this is fascinating scripture. And I love this because what's the, what's the position? What is the position of the one that is in Christ? Well, the Bible says this. For he, that is Christ, delivered us out of the domain of darkness, out of Adam, and placed us and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. He took us out of Adam and he placed us into Christ, his son. Let me just give you an example of how this works. So in God's economy, there are two addresses. There is the dominion of darkness. That's to be found in Adam. And there's the kingdom of light, which is found in Christ. We have our two cups here. So in the dominion of darkness, again, hear this, please. Do not hear this as condemnation. Do not hear this with my just wanting to share with you the truth of what the Bible says in as much love as I possibly can, because this is where I was. This is where I was. And but for God's grace, I would still be here. Okay? If you're curious, convinced, callous, confused, or you couldn't care, the Bible says that I am still in Adam. And the result is still in, uh, if I'm in Christ, this commitment places me into Christ. Because remember, it's not my commitment, it's Christ's commitment to me. I'm committed to Christ's commitment to me. And so these are the accoutrements. This is what you get in the dominion of darkness. Satan's your landlord. You're still in your sin, death. I'm still in my sin. I'm still dead in my sins, separated from Christ. I'm in bondage to sin. I'm headed for eternal destruction. Life is confusion. 
spiritual things just don't make much sense to me. Deceived and great fear. Because what, not to say that if you're in Christ, there's never issues of fear, but this is a dealing with eternal fear. And what happens when I die? But if in Christ, I've got Christ. Christ is not just my landlord. He's my Lord. I have total forgiveness, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I have life. I have, he's given me his life. I've got freedom and power over sin because he now lives in me to be that power source and a new desire to not be self-centered. I've got, I've been saved. I've been rescued out of Adam. Life becomes more clear. I mean, there should be t conversation at tables tonight about how did your life become more clear? What happened? How did that mist that dark mist seemed to just evaporate and things became, I can, I can see, I can see. I mean, my whole life I couldn't see. It feels like somebody just removed a veil and I can see. It's like somebody took a 10-ton boulder off my back and I can stand up and I'm, I'm, I'm free. That's because you've entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, not because you've experience had some religious experience it's christ who comes to give us life i come to know the truth and by the way the truth does set us free and i experience love like i've never experienced before and i want to show that love like i've never shown it before because i couldn't because i didn't have love i wasn't in love and love wasn't in in me so how do we defend ourselves? I'll, I'll just stop here because I, I am out of time. We get to know this word. We get to know the Christ of the word. And he lives in me. And he is my defender. He is the one that defends me. And I'm going to read this last scripture. I'm going to have to run right through this one too. I, I love this scripture from the Psalms. Look, again, look here at the initiation of God and just what he has done for us. David writes, he reached down from heaven. He came down from heaven and rescued me. That'd be me. He drew me out of deep waters where I was drowning. He delivered me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. That, those would be Satan and demons. They attacked me at a moment when I was weakest, but the Lord upheld me. He led me to a place of safety. Here it is. This is the place of safety in Christ. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. What? He delights in me. He's always delighted in you. He just waits for you to come to him, to get delivered out of Adam and be placed into him. See, the way to resist evil is to cling to the one who's defeated evil so that we can be ever forever joined with Christ in, I'll just use this, the dash and in the line, join with Christ now as our hearts are beating and we're living on this planet and then forever with him on the other side of our last heartbeat. That can only happen, according to the Bible, by running to the one who came to deliver us from the devil in this life and the next. So there's a decision to make. Life in Adam, which the Bible says is ultimate death. Or life in Christ, which is life now like you never could imagine. And life forever with him. That's the option. So how can I resist evil? The biggest thing. Surrender. To the one who is life. Surrender to the one who defeated death and the grave. Through his death, burial and resurrection. Think about that. Lie awake in bed tonight. Wake up tomorrow morning. Think about this. Jesus is waiting he said, I do. He's waiting for us. 
So next week, the topic is who is the Holy Spirit? This is fascinating because I had no idea. No idea. We're going to learn that more next week. So let's do this. Let's take a quick break, get back to our tables, and enjoy the rest of our evening together talking about the topic. Thank you guys for joining us uh, live stream tonight as well. We appreciate your being here, and we hope to see you next week. Thank you guys for coming.